Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And welcome to the Billboard Sharpie Podcast, Gary Trust Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. So uh, last week, we celebrated our 100th episode. We've, uh, we've made it through. That makes it sound bad. Made it through. We've enjoyed. We've enjoyed 100 episodes. We never thought we'd see the promised land like the Israelites in the desert, but here we are. So on to 101, and uh, we keep celebrating. Figured uh, maybe something a little bit new. Uh, what's the sign, Trevor? Of a great song. Um, it hits number one. Well, obviously, but uh, it can be remade. It's remade many mm. times. So many people love it. it it's that good. The people want to want to sing it, re- put their own spin on it. So we figured, why not do that with the Chartbeat Podcast theme song? Now uh, you may be hearing a third voice coming through the airwaves. This particular episode, th- there it was again. It's like a, it's like a great Easter egg. Uh, that yes is going to be our special first guest on today's episode. Uh, somebody in house here at Billboard. Uh, his name is Zach Aronson. He works uh, with the executive suite here. Uh, also, fun fact: enjoys the talent of singing. So uh, we want to welcome Zach. And we're going to set him up. It'll be sort of, I guess, um, we could call it, I don't know, Podcast Idol or, or something. Chart Podcast oh, Idol. Yeah. Chart B. Okay, Chart B Podcast Idol. It's a little, it's a little it long. Rolls off the tongue. It'll, let's welcome Zach in. Hi. Hey, I'm Zach. so, so happy. So excited to be here. So, uh, so Zach, let's, let, let's start at the beginning, of course. So yeah. Before you sing, how did you get into singing? Have you always been singing? Oh, you grew up gosh. in a musical household? I, I mean, actually, I mean, since you asked it specifically that way, my mother was always a singer. Uh, she performed in uh, in vocal groups all through college, and she loved, she was in some rock bands. She, yeah, it's crazy. She had a whole life before me, but she's always been a really passionate singer. And, you know... I think Disney movies obviously were some of the first movies I ever watched and I I was so drawn to music you know from The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast onwards and uh, you know I feel like I started getting into the world of of theater when uh, my sister wound up going to a summer camp and I was invited or, or basically because she was going to the camp I might as well go along to the camp as well and uh, and that was back in Boston Chestnut Hill Performing Arts Camp I think it was called 
Um, Are you from Boston? Yeah, yeah. I am too. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. Uh, Yeah, born in Boston, raised in like Brookline, Chestnut Hill. My grandparents lived in Brookline. Oh my gosh, mine lived in Wakefield. But not not Brooklyn, New York. No, Brookline. Brookline. Oh, Brookline. Um, But I always love to sing. I'm super obnoxious and annoying about it sometimes. Uh, I just... You know, I'm I'm constantly singing to myself, and obviously, you know, I decided a long time ago that I didn't want to pursue performing professionally. That's just not what I wanted. I was, uh, you know, a little bit too shy and nervous and just not confident enough uh, to put myself out there like that. Uh, but I've always continued to love to sing and been singing around the office since I started here because I just can't help myself. I'm like Maria Von Trapp and my heart wants to sing every song it hears. Like my, I cannot stop. Yeah. Well, it's you, kind of a problem. You become sort of famous now. Whenever <laughs> we have a, a, a celebration, we Keith Caulfield just had his 20th anniversary of Billboard. You were singing Happy Anniversary. So I was thinking, well, I gotta get him on the podcast and see how deep this talent goes. Let's see. Let's find out. All right. So what we figured for the 100th episode, now that we're past that, on to 101, uh, see if we can have a nice uh, new version along with the original of uh, the Chart Beat Podcast theme song. You up for your version of it? Yes, I would love that. I mean, how exciting would that be? Obviously, you've got such a great theme song, Gary, that you told me the story of that, you you know, your friend turned it around, just her and a guitar and, and sent it right over to you. And, you know, that was history 101 episodes ago. Uh, and obviously, I would want to continue. It's right up there with the Mary Tyler Moore yes, theme. iconic. Right up there, yeah, with the Brady Bunch and <laughs> <laughs> They'll be humming Charlie. Truly iconic. Uh, all right, uh, let's let's okay, see what you got. So Zach and it's, Trevor it's and I will. Time for the official. We cannot sort of underlay the theme music with this. No. So this is going to be an all acapella yes, performance. Just acapella. Uh, unfortunately, the song <laughs> is not sixteen bars, so we get the one line. But, but uh, yeah, you know, put, but put your all I, into I it. I will. Oh, I will. All right, let's. Um, do you know the words? So uh, yes, do you know the words? I, think, I know there's a lot of I lyrics remember. to this song. Oh yeah, if you need a lyric sheet, <laughs> we can provide. It's the Chartbeat Podcast. Oh no, that was no good. Uh, but down the octave is is you know another option. It's the Chartbeat Podcast. Well, as they do on Idol, uh, sometimes <clears> it's okay. You know that that was good. We want to hear something else. We want to hear yes. what else you can do. Any any uh, any past hits? Uh, what else is in your uh, your songbook? Um, well, you know, I did want to bring up actually because I was listening to your episode from two weeks ago now, where there was some discussion of Ariana Grande's new song, um, and there I felt a lack of appreciation of what I think is a totally brilliant song and an amazing music video. I've had it on repeat nonstop since the day it came out. So you're gonna take on Ariana Grande? Yes. Right now, I'm in a state of mind. I want to be in like all the time. Ain't got no tears left to cry. So I'm picking it up, picking it up. I'm loving, I'm living, I'm picking it up. Picking it up, picking it up. Loving, I'm living, I'm picking it up. We vibing. Yeah, so there you go. That's a little... I think that that's a song of the summer. My other song of the summer that's way too low on the charts still is One Kiss by Dua Lipa and Calvin Harris. 
Got some soul coming out of Brookline, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me. I feel like I need to redeem myself and re-sing the, um, my like real version of the Charpy podcast. Okay, so it's the Charpy podcast. Oh, 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 oh. you win the chance to uh, record an official version, and if it uh, sounds good, we'll mix it into rotation. With yes, How about that? if it hits number one on the Hot 100, that's <laughs> that's all you got to do. Uh, oh, how about how about this? Can you sing one more thing? Yes. Uh, we have this new hotline that people have been calling. We uh, put a couple of callers on uh, last week. Uh, if you can, on the spot, come up with a, a, a version of just singing, uh, 212-493-4021. We'll make that the theme song for our hotline. Obviously, as soon as you said the word hotline, my brain goes, I know when the hotline ling. Okay, let me see this phone number again. So it's 212-493-4021. To one. Oh, you better call the Charpeat Hotline to one two four nine three forty two one. Went for that kind of cheesy classic commercial jingle sound right. to it. All right, well, uh, <laughs> we're gonna give you that golden ticket, uh, Zach. Here's your golden ticket. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. Just picture. It's so real. Solid gold. <laughs> All right. Gold. I we'll, love uh, gold. We'll listen to for you more coming up on the podcast. Get in the studio, Zach. Yes. You're wasting your talents. No. Sitting at your computer. Uh, it's, it's time. It's time for me to record. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up uh, on the podcast, uh, we're going to get into uh, Camila Cabello's Havana this week, deconstructed by our, our friends over at Hit Songs Deconstructed. They have uh, really uh, dug in at uh, everything, the compositional characteristics as to why the song uh, became so popular, what uh, helped get it to number one on the Hot 100. So that's coming up. And uh, we'll flash back to uh, Billboard Music Awards or Sunday night. And uh, Trevor, maybe uh, this artist, maybe the biggest draw coming up Sunday night that we're going to flash back to. Ooh. Ooh. Stay tuned. We'll find out. All right. Uh, right now, as always, this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Number nine. Heard it, darling, you look perfect tonight. Number eight. Number seven. And I'm out here with the seven hundred three I fives. Look alive, look alive. Niggas came up on this side. Now they on the other side. Oh, well, fuck them, dog. We gon' see how hard they roll. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? Number six. I'm losing my mind just a little. So why don't you just meet me in the middle? If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, if it's meant to be. Number five. Ride with me, ride with me, see where this thing goes. 
Michael, I'm on my bed like Michael. Can't really trust nobody with all this joy. You my roof look like a no show. Got diamonds by the bolo. Don't act like you my friend when I'm rolling through my hands. God's plan. God's plan. Number three. I hold back sometimes I won't. Yeah. I feel good sometimes I don't. Hey. This is America. Don't got you slipping up. And number one. Look how I'm living up. Police be tripping up. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. My area. I got the strap. I gotta care. Hooray, your long national nightmare is over if you are not a Drake fan because there's a new number one this week on the Billboard Hot 100 and it is, for the first time in 15 weeks, not a song by Drake. Childish Gambino taking over the top spot this week with the song This Is America. Um... I mean, again, just one of those crazy examples that we've seen recently of a song that really just comes out of left field to take over the chart in just a span of one week. Uh, Obviously, if you saw This Is America, you probably heard of it through the video. Uh, Obviously, I don't want to say an homage because it's not really an homage, but I guess uh, just just ripe with symbolism and meaning and, and inspiration um, certainly relevant to to the black experience that just got I mean the, the video itself of course blew up there was so much reaction and response and and critique and, and, and thoughts about the video which also helps the video then blow up because people you know try to dissect it I know so many people who saw it five six seven times to have to really dive into it and so the video doing a lot of the heavy lifting um, in terms of getting the song to number one streams in particular were huge for the song, uh, pulling about 65 million for the week. Uh, in comparison, if folks want a sort of a benchmark, when Adele's Hello came out, that got about 61 million in its first week. Obviously, streaming has continued to bloom over those past couple of years, right. but still to be on that Adele level, uh, you know, your first week out for an artist who certainly, you know, did not have the the mainstream sort of recognition clout of Adele at that time. This is a huge accomplishment for him. Yeah, did it surprise you, Trevor? Because we, I feel like we've all kind of uh, followed his, his career arc uh, over the past few years. I, I remember he was on Girls for just a couple episodes. I think that was my first uh, time I, I noticed him. But yeah, it just uh, didn't seem like necessarily it was going to be number one debut when you thought about it then we started to see the building numbers early on and we thought wow this could go straight to number one it's, it's a little twofold because i wonder on one end you know obviously the video doing so much of the lifting i wonder how how people interacted with the song i mean it was number one you know on spotify for the past week or so so people have been playing it interacting i'm curious sort of what the long-term effect will be if people will remember the song if people can like even hum it or know how it goes but in terms of um getting to number one i mean it's one of those things where donald glover who also is childish gambino in case you did not know that they are one and the same person uh you know in the past 18 months i mean his his star has really exploded we saw him take home uh, historic wins at the emmys uh last year bidding some golden globes as well for the tv show atlanta that he does and then uh i think one thing that really surprised a lot of people in the music field was the album 
Awaken My Love that he had uh, eligible for the last Grammy cycle was up for some of the biggest awards of the night. It was up for Album of the Year. The song Redbone was also up for some of the major general categories. Um, so even though Bruno Mars swept just to get that recognition from somebody right. who had not been you know, a major player. I mean, remember, Ed Sheeran was not nominated for Album of the Year. So one of those spots that people thought may have you know deserved that Ed deserved you know Childish Gambino is in that conversation and Ed Sheeran's not so coming out of it I mean this is 18 months ago this would have been a different conversation and you know maybe had no chance for number one but you know when you take the whole clout of what he's accomplished in the past year and a half I mean people obviously love the guy they're excited for him they say this will be his last album so maybe that puts some more momentum behind it having a socially conscious video at a time when a lot of the social media platforms are are ripe for sharing that you know it's not just willy-nilly kind of hey this is what i'm doing today check in i mean having that at the right moment plays a huge part so uh so no i mean when you add all those elements together this this is the this is the song one of those songs that is not surprising it hit number one because it hit number one in the right moment right yeah, it was kind of interesting how he, he really, I, I think he hits a lot of different audiences. He he joked, but it, there, there was truth behind it when he uh, said, when he was hosting Saturday Night Live, he said, if you, know, you might know me from Star Wars and some of the other things he's done. He said, if, if you're black, you know me from Atlanta, which is kind of a joke that maybe some audiences watch that, some uh, movies. So he really maybe has a bigger audience than you might have expected. So when you look at it that way, yeah, maybe not much of a surprise. Uh, yeah, it's a really good point, I mean, especially when you sort of divide yourself into Donald Glover and Childish Gambino I mean there's even though obviously the same person in a weird way maybe it allows you to to experiment and spread more in those different personas rather than and people I don't know if people even necessarily think of those people as the same person you know like if you see if you see Rihanna for example acting in a movie you know it's like Rihanna the singer acting right but I guess because he's kind of come up at the same time in both dimensions maybe people don't think of like oh this is the this, the guy I'm watching on screen is the same person who put out Redbone I don't ma- I don't think people maybe necessarily like make that instant connection in a way that they do with other you know people who who both act and sing. I was going to say, is it, is it just because of the different name or because he's doing all this at once? Like, you think of Drake or Timberlake at this point, and yeah, they were more child actors. They're not really acting now, so maybe you don't, uh, you're able to separate those a little bit more easily? Uh, maybe. And I guess, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about, so I, maybe I may be wrong about this, but also, you know, a lot of those people who who I guess start off as singers and go into acting then they turn around and do all these soundtrack songs so it's a little hard to differentiate the singer from the actor when it comes to some of, some of these projects I mean right. uh, I mean, if you look at somebody like Whitney Houston who plays a singer in her biggest film it's like okay it's a little hard for me to you know to think you know the Whitney Houston actress versus Whitney Houston singer if I'm hearing Whitney Houston songs ha- every 30 minutes in this movie so uh, maybe and I know people who think obviously the dual name thing is kind of weird, but maybe, maybe that helps. Yeah, maybe yeah, that, helps maybe that maybe benefits in a way that, and, and maybe it's not alienating in the way people think it it would be, or confusing for your brand, or you know people aren't going to know you the same way. So if you want to be more than just a podcaster, you just need another name, Trevor. You can go do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. I guess I can be Trevor Anderson on the airwaves, and uh, I don't know what would be a good what would be a good name for my uh, my R and B album. I was going to say. Childish. 
could work, but it's already taken. All right, so Gary set up this whole discussion just to <laughs> land that burn. Um, and we'll give it to him. We'll give it to him. We'll let him have it. All right. Uh, so that's this week's uh, top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, not in the top 10, uh, although uh, Camila Cabello is, with Never Be the Same, her previous hit, uh, Havana, as we mentioned, uh, week at number one in January. And our friends over hit songs deconstructed, as they always do, as they've uh, done on the podcast here before, uh, totally dug into what's behind the song, what uh, specifically made it a hit in terms of its uh, composition, uh, its songwriting, its production, uh, everything about it, uh, like no one else uh, can do. Uh, Dave and Yal Penn uh, deconstructed Havana, and we're going to look at it now. What made? Obviously, it's a catchy song, but we're going to find out it's even more than that. Uh, some of the uh, elements that went into the song. Uh, why Havana became such a huge hit on the Hot 100. Deconstructed right now on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Dave and Yael Penn of It's Sounds Deconstructed. Welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Gary. Great Trevor. to be here. So uh, it was actually funny. Uh, recently, Dave, uh, when there were all these debuts recently in the Hot 100, top 10. Yep. Uh, J. Cole had three a couple weeks ago. Uh, Ariana Grande, we had four debuts in the top 10 for the first time ever. Uh, Post Malone just debuted. Yep. And, and, and you guys... Uh, the core of Hit Songs Deconstructed is you analyze top 10s mm-hmm. on the Hot 100. So I guess <laughs> yep. it's either uh, congratulations or, or sorry for all the extra Keeping work. Keeping us very, very busy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So good for work. but Yeah, uh, it was a busy couple of weeks, yeah. but uh, all good. All right. So we're going back a little bit to a song that was in yep. the top 10 for a long time, a week at number one in January. Uh, one of the... In some ways, I, I know you're gonna you're, we're going to bring up the word Hookfest. It's going to come up in this one, right? Absolutely. We're going Havana to, Unana. We're going to Havana with. Uh, <laughs> it's actually interesting. Is reading some of the intro that you guys uh, have on, on uh, Hit Songs Deconstructed, saying how uh, you, up front you even say that Camila herself really didn't expect the song to become a hit, and sometimes the biggest hits, uh, even at the beginning, it might seem so obvious, but no one thought this was going to be a hit. Yeah, on, on her side, sometimes it's going against the grain and really going with your gut feeling. And you know, if the song is really solid, as this one is, you can really have great results. And this is, you know, proof in the pudding. All right, so you're going to take us into, uh, as as only you guys can do, really go in a deep dive on really why Havana's been in everyone's head for months and why it was such a huge hit on the Hot 100. Absolutely. Let's get into it. So Havana entered the Hot 100 in the fourth quarter of 2017. There are two artists on the song, Camila Cabello, who's the primary artist, and Young Thug, a rapper, who's the featured artist. 
It hit number one on over 30 charts throughout the world, including the Billboard Hot 100. And it was written by a team of 10 songwriters, including Ellie Tamposi, Andrew Watt, Brandon Perry, Brian Lee, Camilo Cabello, Frank Dukes, Jeffrey Williams, Louis Bell, Pharrell Williams, and Stara. Lots of cooks in the kitchen. I think that's one of the things that's sort of been forgotten a little bit and how big this song was, that Pharrell was part of the song. Yeah. A lot of great songwriters on that song. Um, and it was produced by Frank Dukes. And he's produced for a host of artists, including B.B. Rexa, Lord, Frank Ocean, Post Malone, Nicki Maj, Drake. list goes on and on. Yeah. Um, so what we'll do is check out some of Havana's core strengths, and then we'll go section by section to hear how the song unfolds. Now, one of Havana's key strengths is that it capitalized on some of today's hottest trends while also possessing atypical qualities that helped it stand out from the pack. On the trend capitalization side, it's three main influences, hip-hop, trap, and R&B, with the three most popular influences found in the Hot 100 Top 10 in 2017. So they, along with the incorporation of the hot new trend on the rise, which is Latin, especially thanks to the massive success of Desposito, enabled Havana to connect with a wide audience and succeed on each of their respective charts, which includes the US uh, Billboard US Mainstream Top 40 chart, US Rhythmic chart, and US Latin Pop Songs chart, where Havana hit number one on each. Now, not only were hip-hop, trap, and R&B the most popular in the overall Hot 100 Top 10, but they were also very popular among exclusively pop songs as well, where they played a role in 40 to 60% of songs in 2017. Okay, can we ask a question there? Please. Just, um, I, I'm sure some people might be wondering, okay, so a pop song is built upon uh, hip-hop, trap, and R&B. And you, you can obviously hear, um, I think, some of the, the hip-hop influence there. When you say the song is built on an R&B base, what, what elements of the song in particular Primarily would you say? the characteristics of her vocal delivery. In, in okay. That, yes. So more vocal than instrumentation. Yeah, so we're, when we're looking at all these different influences in the song, we're looking at a wealth of characteristics. So we're looking at the instrumentation, we're looking at vocal characteristics, even lyrics, um, to make a determination on what influences are playing different types of roles and different degrees of prominence to shape the sound and vibe of the song. Okay. Havana was also in tune with trends pertaining to tempo, key, and vocal delivery in 2017, the 100 to 109 beat per minute range, minor keys, and a combination of sung and rap vocals were the most popular in the top 10. Now on the flip side, one of Havana's characteristics that really enabled it to stand out among its contemporaries was its choice of instruments, namely trumpet and a brass section, both of which are quite rare in the top 10. In 2017, only two to 3% of all songs utilized either of these instruments in the mix. Trivia time, you ready? Before Havana, what was the last Hot 100 Top 10 hit to feature trumpet in a prominent hook-based manner? I'll give you a hint. Go back to December of 2015. 15. At the end of 2015, um, let's see, that was the year... That was Adele and Bieber. Was Love Yourself? Did it have trumpets in it? Something you should go and love yourself. Now, another instrument that helped Havana to stand out is acoustic piano. Now, while acoustic piano isn't as rare as brass, it was utilized in 38% of top 10 hits in 2017, only a small handful feature it as a main accompaniment element as Havana does. Among them are diverse hits such as Humble, Million Reasons, Sign of the Times, and Too Good at Goodbyes. 
On the influence side, as much as Latin helped Havana capitalize on the hot emerging trend, it also helped it to stand out among its contemporaries, considering that only 6% of all top 10 hits in 2017 featured a Latin influence. They include Desposito, Mi Gente, Wild Thoughts, and most recently, Cardi B's I Like It in Q2. Another one of Havana's core strengths is its choice of featured artist, in this case, rapper Young Thug. Not only does his addition bolster the song's hip-hop influence and enable it to capitalize on the popularity of hip-hop in the mainstream, but it also provides the narrative with a heightened degree of authenticity through his portrayal of the bad boy antagonist, Jeffrey, which also happens to be Young Thug's real name. And speaking of authenticity, the protagonist in the narrative is from Havana, which happens to be the birthplace of Camila Cabello. So it's really effective how qualities of the actual performing artists are woven into the fabric of the song. And another plus about having Young Thug as the featured artist, as opposed to a more household name like Jay-Z, for example, is that he doesn't overshadow Cabello and impede the goal of establishing her as a major solo artist since leaving Fifth Harmony. Now, arguably the key components that really helped Havana turn into a major hit is its hooks and the methodical and clever manner that they're woven into the song. At the heart of Havana is the Nansen's Na Hook, which as you probably know, Na Hooks have played a key role in some of popular music's biggest hits. So Havana is now part of the Na number one hit club. Now, considering that the lyric Na appears 75 times throughout the song, it's reinforced with a variety of melodic and lyrical change-ups, which helps to keep it sounding fresh and prevent it from becoming overly redundant. But the writers didn't stop at Na. They included another infectious nonsense vocal hook in the pre-chorus, which is cleverly reinforced in an instrumental manner, both in the instrumental break and the outro sections, as you'll hear in just a bit. So now let's go through each section in the song and spotlight some key highlights as we go along. Havana begins with a nine-second four-bar intro, and it's the shortest section in the entire song. So it goes on the premise of hooking the listener in and getting on with it ASAP, which as you could gather is a really good practice considering the instant gratification society in which we live. It features the sparsest arrangement in the entire song. There's just a vocal shout and two instruments in the mix, acoustic piano and claps. The pattern and timbre of the acoustic piano establishes the song's traditional Latin vibe and also functions as a unique identifier for the song. So as soon as the listener hears those opening chords, there's no mistaking it for something else. So it easily cuts through airwave clutter and grabs the listener's attention. And then there's uh, the electronic claps and they provide the rhythmic foundation, establish a contemporary vibe against the traditional characteristics of the piano and hint at the song's hip-hop influence, which becomes more prominent as the song progresses. Hey. Following the intro, and just 4% of the way into the song, we get to the first chorus, not the first verse, which is typically the case with most Hot 100 Top 10 hits. But as you could gather, kicking off with the chorus is a really effective way to begin, especially if the chorus is really strong, which is certainly the case with Havana. 
Now, the real strength of this section is no doubt the vocal melody. It's meticulously crafted with an effective blend of repetition and contrast to ensure that the melody gets completely ingrained in the listener's head without becoming overly redundant. So let's go line by line so you can really hear how well the melody is constructed. The section begins with the establishment of the song title hook on line one, Havana Unana. Havana Unana. So a really clever spin on the time-tested na hook. Now line two concludes with Havana Unana from line one, but it introduces a new melodic part before it, which helps to keep things sounding fresh. Half of my heart is in Havana Unana. Line three that follows possesses the same exact melody as line two, but features different lyrics, which again helps to prevent things from becoming overly redundant. He took me back to East Atlanta, na, na, na. Lines four and five begin in a similar manner as lines two and three, but omit the na lyrics at the end. So again, this provides variation while concurrently reinforcing the melody with the listener. Here's line four. Oh, my heart is in Havana. And the section concludes in a similar manner as it began with another iteration of the song-defining Havana Unana hook. But this time around, it features a slightly differentiated melody. So now let's listen to the entire chorus straight through to hear how it all comes together. You know what's interesting, Dave, is uh, some songs that start with the chorus, it feels like it kind of hits you over the head. With, mm-hmm. with this song, it just kind of feels like, like I never really thought, oh, right, it starts with the chorus. It feels so interwoven into the flow of the song. It's just organic. Yeah. It's a very organic flow in this song. And that's really one of the things that really helped this song succeed, in my opinion. It just, it doesn't feel manufactured or contrived. It's just right. very nice, even flow throughout the song, like you put it. Yeah. So following the chorus, and 13% of the way into the song, we get to the first verse. A couple of key things to listen for here are the introduction of the kick and bass, which provides the section with a more intense vibe compared to the preceding chorus while bolstering the song's hip-hop and trap influences, and the call and response flow between the lead and background vocals, which provides the section with a really infectious quality. And as you listen, keep an ear out for the similarities and differences in the lead and background vocals from line to line, which reinforces the melody while preventing the section from becoming overly redundant. So it's actually the response in the call and response that doesn't change melodically. So that actually serves as the familiar anchor throughout the entire section while you have these slight variations in the lead vocal. So that's why, again, reinforcing with a little differentiation to keep it engaging while at the same time anchoring that into the listener's head. Now, one-fifth of the way into the song, we get to the pre-chorus. And the highlight of this section is the vibrant and infectious nonsense vocal that cleverly conveys the way that the antagonist makes the protagonist feel without the need for words. And it's also providing uh, providing Cabello with an opportunity to really show off her vocal chops. Now, in the last measure of the pre-chorus, 
The full accompaniment is pulled in conjunction with the addition of the high-intensity and infectious O-na-na-na vocal. And this heightens tension and anticipation leading into the ensuing chorus while enabling it to hit with increased perceived impact once the full accompaniment is reinstated at the beginning of the section. He got me really engaging lead into that chorus that time. Now, at just about one third of the way into the song, we get to the second chorus, which is very similar to the first. And this is important in order to get the main payoff ingrained in the listener's head. But there are a few notable differences as well, which helps to keep things sounding fresh without impeding memorability. There's a minor lyrical change-up that takes place, and this is really atypical when it comes to chart-topping hits. Most songs keep the same lyrics between choruses, there's additional instruments in the mix, which provides this chorus with a fuller, more powerful quality compared to the preceding sections. A brass section plays a riff in the last measure, which bolsters the authentic Latin vibe. And a male nonsense background vocal is sung over Cabello's lead, which provides the section with a heightened degree of color as well as engaging contrast against the first chorus in the song. Now at 39% of the way into the song, we get to the second verse where a really pronounced shift takes place. It's the only section that features Young Thug and not Cabello. It conveys the narrative from the antagonist's point of view as opposed to the protagonist. And it features pronounced change-ups in both the vocals and accompaniment compared to the other sections in the song. Now it's also the longest section in the song, clocking in at 16 bars as opposed to four or eight. So in order to help keep things engaging, aspects of the vocals and the accompaniment change from stanza to stanza. Some things to keep an ear out for as we listen are the changed up piano in the first stanza, which heightens engagement and provides the antagonist with unique texture in the scope of the song. The speeding up of the vocals from stanza to stanza, which creates more excitement as the session progresses. The lines in each stanza concluding with the same four note lead vocal melody, which heightens memorability against the other vocal differences. Change-ups in melodic direction across each stanza, from ascending to monotone to descending, which creates a highly engaging flow. And lastly, change-ups in the accompaniment, which provides dynamic variety throughout the section. So here's the first stanza, and really pay attention to the difference now in the piano at the beginning. So that really does a great job of having, you know, this differentiated section really stand out and enabling the antagonist in the narrative to really have his own unique setting within the narrative as well. Very clever. 
one of the ways I knew the song had just become so huge pop culture wise is I heard uh, Havana on an AC station in Boston, Magic 106.7. Mm. Uh, generally, AC stations always remove the rap first. They played it. Yep. It just, it's such a part of the song. It doesn't feel, again, that flow of the song it feels natural. Yeah, yeah. It's just, again, natural, organic. It just totally works. Yeah. So here's the second stanza. So again, pay attention to the vocals kind of speeding up a little bit here. And also it reverts back to the main piano that we heard earlier in the song. So it's you know providing it with a more intense kind of quality. Now in the third stanza, the accompaniment thins out a little bit. So it's providing some dynamic variety. But we also have more of a speeding up of the vocals, which is creating more excitement at the same time. And also a really cool call and response going on there as well. It's very interesting how they, you know, splice these vocal clips together to create this really dynamic and interesting uh, kind of vocal flow. Now, 56% of the way into the song, we get to the third chorus. Features the same characteristics as chorus two, except for some additional background vocals, which prevents it from coming across in a cookie cutter type manner. Now, two-thirds of the way into the song, we get to the bridge. And the highlight of this section is the engaging three-way vocal hook pairing between two na-hook variations and the proper take-me-back-back-back vocal, which advances the narrative in a hook-based manner. So it's the only place so far where she's saying that she wants to go back to Havana. She wasn't saying that before. So a lot of repetition going on there, but you have those vocal embellishments in the background, which helps to keep it from becoming overly monotonous. Now, at three quarters of the way into the song, we get to the instrumental break. The first half of the section features a trumpet playing the nonsense vocal hook melody from the pre-chorus, which cleverly reinforces that melody in a fresh manner while bolstering the song's traditional Latin vibe. And the second half of the section, Cabello returns and sings that melody in tandem with the trumpet, giving the listener a hook double dose as the, so- as the uh, song heads into the fourth and final chorus. a really clever hook reinforcement there. You had it in the pre-chorus vocally, you do a very similar thing in the instrumental break, and then you kind of tie it all together with her coming in and singing that in tandem with the trumpet. And because it's conveyed by a trumpet, it's really standing out because you don't typically hear a trumpet in a mainstream hit. 82% of the way into the song, we get to the last chorus. And the main difference between this chorus and the other choruses is that it keeps the trumpet from the preceding instrumental break in effect 
which provides this course with a more intense quality and a fresh twist without impeding memorability. But one thing to note about the trumpet is that it's riffing as opposed to playing the main hook melody, and this is important for two key reasons. It provides the listener with a necessary respite from the main hook melody, considering that it's also featured in the outro that follows. And by not using that melody, it allows for the chorus vocal to remain the focal point of the section and get further ingrained in the listener's head. If both were in effect concurrently, the listener's attention would be split and as a result not fully absorb the full essence of the chorus. So it's really just creating more excitement and passion within the section, driving with the whole, you know, Latin kind of theme. Um, but it's not reinforcing that hook, which comes in later. So 91% of the way into the song, we get to the very last section, which is the outro. And the outro utilizes something that we at Hit Songs Deconstructed called the Grand Finale Hook Fest Technique. And this is where some of the most infectious material from other sections in the song are repurposed in the outro to leave the listener on an excited and memorable high. So the material in Havana's outro comes from three sections. The bridge provides the na vocal hook, which repeats four times within the section. The instrumental break provides the trumpet hook, which again is based on the pre-chorus vocal hook melody. And this hook is also repeated four times. And the chorus provides the core accompaniment, which keeps the energy level at a high, coupled with the Havana Unana title hook, which brings the song to a conclusion just as it began. And if you notice, at the very end of the song, the accompaniment is pulled once again to enable that title to stand out one last time and really connect with the listener. I love that term, the grand finale. Grand fin- That's what it is. Hook fest. The grand finale hook fest. It, that's kind of what, when you guys were here a few months ago, uh, same thing pretty much yeah. about uh, Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, right? Mm-hmm. You take all these hooks and just put them all together at the end, leave the listener just hearing uh, all these hooks at once. It's a very powerful technique. So it's basically just taking all the key infectious elements and like, here it is one more time for the listener to really, you know, get that ingrained in your head and leave you on an excited high. But the way that they do it, it doesn't seem like everything's out of place. Everything just connects perfectly and just right. ties into the song as a whole. It's great. And it really is like like the way you construct a building. You start with these layers and you just keep building it up and you have more hooks and you get to these higher levels. Yeah, you add, you remove, you add, remove, and you just keep that engaging thing while reinforcing everything with the listener. Yeah, absolutely. Una na indeed. Great song. <laughs> but I just wanted to say one more thing that as we, you know, spoke about before, the you know, forget about all the hooks and everything for one second. It's that organic quality about the song and the way that Cabello really connected with it. It's just natural. And you could tell that she's like really into and expressing everything throughout the song. Um, you know, where maybe other songs for other artists, you know, they're written by other songwriters, but they don't connect with the essence of the artist so you never really buy into it you don't get that gut feeling with this song you do 
And I think that's one of the main reasons why it became a hit as well. Right, with her being from Havana. Has, exactly. Has that personal connection. Exactly. I, I think part of it, too, is just yeah. the lyrics. I think just on an emotional level, people hear, my heart is in a certain place. You kind yep. of equate it to maybe there's a place where you always kind of go back to mentally. I think everyone kind of takes that. Well, that's a great point. I mean, you know, it's that universal connection with an audience, but also containing specifics, which provides the narrative with more depth. And it's the effective blend of the two, which really creates a very engaging uh, narrative. Yeah. And uh, I guess next up now, uh, never be the same. Camila just hit the top 10. You could uh, do a follow up. Yep, that could be. But we have to do some variety with deconstruction. So (laughs) (laughs) Camila deconstructed. Actually, the next one, I believe, will be the middle. Ah. Oh, the middle. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're doing that one. All right, this is great, uh, as always, uh, Dave and Gail. Thank you so much. Uh, Pleasure have as you back, always. Uh, of course. We'll have you back next week, too, because we're going to go uh, yeah. even deeper beyond Camila into uh, trends that have been yep. in the top 10 of the Hot 100. Looking forward to it. Q1 2018. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing you. See you soon. Like a moth to a flame burned by the fire My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way love goes And to wrap things up this week, uh, remember this Sunday, May 20th, it's going to be the Billboard Music Awards on NBC this year. So be sure to tune in for that. As part of the celebration, uh, we're going to be honoring one of the great pop divas of all time with our Icon Award. That is the one, the only Miss Janet Jackson. Uh, and conveniently enough for us, uh, actually 25 years ago this week, quarter century probably probably hard to believe uh janet was enjoying the start of a number one run that is that's the way love goes all right so this song uh obviously a huge game changer in janet jackson's career maybe the first time people heard her you know in a in a really sultry sexy kind of way this introduced the the album janet in 1993 also a blockbuster set um if if you remember if you, if you know anything about the Janet album, you probably may have seen the cover, which is a cropped version of that famous Rolling Stone picture. Uh, if you don't... There's only one really famous Janet Jackson Rolling Stone picture. If you don't know what it is... Yeah, there's nothing nothing graphic about it. They yeah. were, you know, it's 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 controlled. It's smart sexy. Uh, but the crop shot of that. And, of course, the songs in the, songs in the album, uh, a lot of them, a lot of them adult-themed. Yeah, this is the first time we'd heard from her after uh, the Rhythm Nation 1814 uh, album. And uh, you know, it had been three years. And I feel like in some ways, uh, R&B, uh, hip-hop changed a little bit. Just between uh, 89 and 93, rap really exploded and went more mainstream. Hip-hop uh, got even bigger. So, uh, you know, if you were expecting sort of that New Jack uh, swing sound of a Miss You Much, Rhythm Nation, obviously she had to evolve for 1993. And she, she really did on this song. Yeah, I mean, this song in particular, it's got that slow groove, still the same architects. I mean, Janet, obviously, forever linked with with, uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who helped mastermind this song as well. Also, if you have seen the music video, uh, you'll know that there is a young Jennifer Lopez as one of the the background performers at that time, just before she was getting her own start. So you're just going to keep plugging Billboard Music Awards everywhere you can. 
Uh, yeah, J-Lo's gonna be there. Maybe sh- maybe J-Lo will find her way into the background and Janet does this song. Uh, she does a little medley. Um, but also, you know, in, in larger context about this song being the biggest hit of Janet's career, I uh, just wanted to run through a few of the major milestones of Janet Jackson. One of the reasons that we're giving her the Icon Award because she obviously has set so many Billboard records and, of course, you know, being the sibling of Michael Jackson, that is not an easy task to do. But some of the big things that Janet has done in her career that are leading her up to this, uh, if we want to start at the beginning, uh, probably one of her most famous accomplishments is having seven top five singles off that Rhythm Nation album that Gary mentioned. Uh, a few other albums have had seven top ten singles, and really it's just two. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller and Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, but nobody able to get them all into the top five except for Janet Jackson. So, um, I'm sorry, just on her really, her fourth album, but her second big album. And Shark fans will know, too, that it could have been eight if State of the World had been an official single. It was just a radio single, uh, so it wasn't at the time eligible for the Hot 100, but it was a big hit on the radio songs chart. So if that had been a commercial single, even uh, so deep into its run, maybe she would have had eight. We'll never know, but still another huge hit from the album. Yeah, I mean, most people can't even get, you know, seven singles alone and just have seven and have them all be hits. Right. I mean, that is that is wild. And a couple number twos in that, too. Rhythm Nation and Come Back to Me, almost more number ones, both stopped at number two. Yeah, and of course, not just that. Four songs did go all the way to number one. So right. you're talking six top two hits uh, off of one album. And that wasn't her only album that was stacked with several hits. Uh, the album before, Control, which was her breakthrough in 1986, also powering five top ten singles on the Hot 100. Uh, some of her best no cuts what have you done for me lately nasty control uh all those becoming top 10 hits her first number one as well the song when i think of you janet uh having 10 number ones on the hot 100 to date and then if you look at the janet album itself the one that has that's the way love goes on it six more top tens on that count which is just an astonishing to have three albums have at least five top tens in a row I mean, for people who weren't alive at the time or maybe weren't, you know, into pop music, I mean, that that right there just tells you sort of what what a stranglehold Janet Jackson had. Just, I mean, every it must have felt like not incessant in a bad way, but just hit after hit with the videos. I mean, things lasting so long. Gary, did you? <laughs> Gary was around at the time. Yes, and I was way, way back. I assume he was conscious of what was going on on in pop music. What did it feel like? You know, especially. I know people always will say, you know, in the shadow of Michael, it was this and that. But Janet seems like much more the more consistent presence on the scene in those that decade. Yeah, well, for me, it's interesting. I got into music in uh, around spring, summer, 1988, and that's when Janet was between albums. So I, I had a whole year before I, I kind of even knew who Janet Jackson was. Uh, so then she came back with Miss You Much in 1989, and uh, I remember kind of thinking I got this huge response, went right to number one, and I just hadn't uh, I hadn't been conscious really of all the success of Control. So uh, it kind of hit me, wow, she's absolutely on that superstar level that there's this uh, kind of buzz for. And uh, yeah, then she was just in that level of, of Madonna, some of the biggest stars for the next few years. She, as you're saying, pretty much uh, nonstop with the hit singles at that point. And, you know, that was kind of at a time after 
bad for Michael Jackson, where you know he had the Dangerous album in in '91, but it didn't quite reach the same heights as uh, as uh, Bad had before then, and what Janet was hitting then. So uh, she wasn't in the shadow to to me of Michael Jackson at all at that point. She she was the bigger Jackson at that point. Ooh, she was the you y'all heard it here first. Twenty eight years back, hot take on that. Yeah, yeah, backdated hot take. Uh, but one thing for sure that Janet Jackson uh, eclipsed everybody in. I think this was was kind of amazing. If you add up that that run of top ten hits that she had, uh, beginning with "Miss You Much" in nineteen eighty nine, get this: every song that Janet Jackson put on the Hot One Hundred between nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety eight. So we're talking almost a decade worth of hits. Every song was a top 10 hit. That's 18 songs in a row. No breaks, no misses, no interruptions, no dreaded number 11s. Everything got to the top 10. And you think about an artist who can sustain that over a period of almost a decade. And you think about, I mean, obviously the competition was was huge. I mean, I'm sure Whitney, Mariah, Paul Abdul, but not even just, you know, in your genre. I mean, the different sounds, you're, you're surviving... You're surviving, you know, obviously pop and R&B, when grunge and, and rock takes over in a, in a big way, when hip-hop comes through. Throughout all of that, Janet Jackson remained constant. Sure. You listen to uh, you know, something like Together Again, which was more in that uh, 90s, uh, late 90s dance pop kind of vibe. She she moved with the times, and no one has that kind of run. Same thing with Madonna, uh, unless you uh, change your production style and keep up with current sounds. And one caveat, I know maybe some of the big Janet Jackson fans will know, uh, if you actually look at what song stopped it, it was a Shaggy song featuring Janet Jackson. So if you actually go with Janet Jackson lead songs, that streak actually goes all the way until 2001. So, I mean, this is just somebody who has, like, like Gary said, just evolved with the times, transcended, found ways to incorporate new styles, and above all that, just remain on top. So if you take that one song out uh, from that collaboration nature, you're talking 80s, 90s, into the 2000s. Three decades you're talking about. Sounds like an icon to me. That, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an icon to all of us. And that is why Janet Jackson, uh, this Sunday, May 20th, going to get that awesome honor of being the Billboard Music Awards Icon Award. Uh, word on the street is she'll be performing some of her big hits in a medley. So uh, some of those big songs, some of those 18 top tens in a row, hopefully going to make a, make an appearance. And for the kids at home who may not, you know, may not know too much about Janet Jackson, especially sort of in the post-Super Bowl landscape, hopefully they get a good shot at seeing why she is so deserving of what she's accomplished and why we're, and why we're calling her an icon. For younger people like you who weren't born when that well, you know, started, I, I got an appreciation for it. But but maybe some of the uneducated in my age group uh, will get an education that night. All right. Uh, so Janet Jackson coming up with uh, so many others on the Billboard Music Awards uh, Sunday night on uh, NBC. So uh, that'll be great uh, to watch uh, Sunday. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week here on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Uh, hit songs deconstructed, as we said, they're coming back next week. Uh, we're going to look at more trends uh, from the first part of 2018. So beyond uh, just Havana, which uh, we deconstructed this week, the other other trends in the production, songwriting, uh, artist breakdowns, male, female groups, and uh, solo art, so much more. We'll dig into all that next week on the podcast. And uh, our hotline, by the way, uh, 212-493-40-1. Uh, premiered it last week with a couple of great questions. We, I know we already have another uh, voicemail, at least, uh, Trevor. We'll get to a question about Camila Cabello next week. We'll answer that. So uh, keep calling at 212-493-40-1. 
Or you could say it like this. Ooh, you better call the Charpeat Hotline. 212-493-421. Sounds even better. And of course, we'll keep an eye on the top of the charts. Uh, see if Childish Gambino can hold on after this monster first week, or if Drake is having his eye back on that number one spot. Of course, we're getting close to that Memorial Day, so the Song of the Summer contest about to be heating up, and it seems like those two artists are going to be the uh, first challengers as well. New song by Selena Gomez out as well, so we'll see uh, how that impacts the chart race going forward. So, uh, Janet Jackson feels like we should close with uh, Janet uh, this week. Do you have a favorite Janet Jackson song, Trevor? Um, it's ooh, it, I feel like it always changes. Um, well, you think of that. Let me. I'll, I'll dig out a really deep cut that was not a hit, and I feel like always should have continued her run of hits, uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Do you remember every time? Every time, it kind of reminded me of uh, again, which had been a number one hit, but this one just uh, just didn't uh, come anywhere near close to that. In fact, I want to do an episode coming up, Trevor, uh, at some point of uh, songs that deserve to be huge hits, but kind of missed by major acts. So Janet Jackson, kind of missed yeah, or missed that, that missed. So uh, I'll save that uh, for for a bigger topic uh, coming up. But yeah, great song by Janet. Uh, all right, I've given you enough time here. What do you got? I guess I'll keep it in the spirit of what Childish Gambino started for us. Uh, I'll take a deep cut from the Janet album, which was the album that had That's The Way Love Goes on it. Uh, it's a socially conscious song called New Agenda. Just talks about the experience, a little bit of racism and uh, and sexism, but gives it a nice, you know, sort of upbeat urban twist. Also featuring our friend Chuck D of Public Enemy. So a nice collab there from them. So uh, from the Janet album, we'll keep it socially conscious. Here we go. New agenda. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 